Welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. ICU, let's be friends. Welcome to the ICU podcast. This is episode 12, Authentic Ugly Crying, I Just Want a Baby. There are actually two episodes this week. Just wanted to shake things up a bit. We've had some amazing guests. Today, it's just me, so buckle up. It's been a wild day. My son woke up throwing up. By the time my husband got home, I just left and I went and walked around kid to kid, just staring at things, just to be away from being all cooped up inside. And when I came home, I sang my daughter to sleep. And singing time at night has been a little stressful lately because when I get the words wrong to my kids' favorite songs, like the theme song of Octonauts tonight, my daughter started yelling at me because I get one word wrong and I have to start all the way over again. It's been a little stressful, I'm not gonna lie. It's really nice to just be in my basement here tonight with my kids in bed and just have my thoughts to myself. Our review for this week is entitled Subscribe to Positivity from BGina2000. Thank you for sharing yourself with the world. I look forward to each podcast and love the positive feelings you leave me with. What I love most about that review is that you leave with positive feelings because sometimes we do talk about heavy things on this podcast, right? We've covered sexual abuse. We've covered chronic illness. We've talked a lot about mental illness and anxiety and depression. And so I'm so grateful that you're able to leave with positive feelings because obviously that's the goal, right? Is to find joy in life and to do that through having compassion for ourselves, for others and connecting with each other, which is what we're doing here on this podcast, putting something out into the world. I'm trying to connect with you through this microphone. So thank you for that review. So today I'm gonna be talking about authenticity and about how it relates to my experience with infertility. I've been realizing that in order to show up in people's lives, you have to be authentic. It's really easy to tell when someone is not authentic and it's really uncomfortable for everybody in the situation. I wanna illustrate some experiences that have helped me to become a more authentic person. And maybe you'll be able to find some parallels between my experience and some you've had and see how it's helped you to become a more authentic person, which then that authenticity gives you greater power to show compassion and connect with others. I got married really young and I knew I wanted babies. Me and my husband both did. However, we both really felt like it was important that I finish my college education first. So we waited a little over a year before we started trying. Don't you love that word, trying? (laughs) No way around it. I haven't found a better word. But even within that first year, when we weren't trying for me to get pregnant, I always thought I was pregnant. I'd feel just a slight hint of nausea or I'd feel extra tired or weak and I'd think, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant and I'd be so excited. I remember taking a dollar store pregnancy test in my bathroom and crying that I wasn't pregnant. And I remember coming out and my husband was like, uh, what? I'm confused. I thought we weren't trying to get pregnant. Why are you crying? But I think I've just always wanted that. I've always had that instinct. I wanted to take care of children and to be able to create something that that is a piece of me, that's part of me. So a little over a year later, after we got married, we started trying to have a baby. Even that first month not getting pregnant was a disappointment for me. Even if you haven't had struggles with fertility, once you know you want a baby and you don't get it, 
it feels like an eternity. Even a couple months can feel like an eternity. So people will often feel like they need to play down their own experiences of waiting to get pregnant when they hear how long it took me. But usually I tell them, you know what? Even a month is hard. Even a month is hard to wait because it's the unknown. When you know you want a baby, you want it. Well, a couple months in of trying to have a baby, my body was just being weird and I felt the need to go into a female doctor anyway. And I told her kind of the things I was experiencing and she kind of laughed it off and told me to come back in a year and that everything was normal. So I had those feelings pretty quickly that something was wrong. When you're trying to get pregnant, that's kind of your biggest fear that there's gonna be a problem. Well, every month was devastating. Every month that negative pregnancy test was just more and more difficult. We were having a major move to Houston, Texas. And I remember at that point, it had been eight months. I remember asking my dad at the time if I said, do you think I'll be pregnant by the time I get back in three months? And he said, yeah, I I think you will be pregnant when you get back. Well, I wasn't. So when it had been officially a year, we went to a fertility doctor. And after assessing tests from both Rob and I, we realized that we both had fertility issues. And they immediately brought up the idea of in vitro and we were floored. In vitro was like an idea out there that was so extreme, so invasive. In fact, I remembered having a conversation with one of my best friends maybe a year or two before that and us talking about in vitro. And I remember saying, you know, I think if we weren't able to have babies for some reason, I think that I wouldn't do in vitro because I feel like that's playing God too much. If God wants me to have a baby, he'll give me a baby. So I need to let him be in charge. So I don't think that it's necessarily a good idea to get involved and to make a pregnancy happen like you do with in vitro. Isn't it so funny how we have such certain opinions when we aren't in the situation? It's so easy to look at other people's complex situations and have all the answers until it's you. Well, the next couple years, we did a lot of things from taking medicine to surgery and tons of testing. And it was a lot of money, especially for two poor college students. Rob and I had so many fights during that time because he was stressed about the money and I was pretty much willing to take out a loan to get me a baby. And he wanted a baby too, but he also wanted to make sure he could provide for that baby and didn't feel like we should go into a ton of debt to try and get that baby here. It was hard on our marriage and it caused a lot of stress. I remember being in tears with my insurance company, just trying to get financial quotes for some of this testing for the surgery. And they never seemed to know what procedures we were even talking about. I couldn't help but feel like 14 year old girls get pregnant on playground slides. Why can't I? Getting on social media was the worst. It seemed like everybody was having babies. And wherever I went, it's like I had a radar for pregnant women. I saw them everywhere. Everybody was pregnant when I wanted to be. I remember going to church and just sitting through lessons and feeling like they didn't apply to me. I remember feeling physical pain, tightness in my chest when they would talk about how wonderful it was to be a mother and how God wanted us to be mothers. There were a lot of really raw feelings during those years. I learned some things from this experience, especially to do with authenticity. And I learned from things that I did really well during that time and things that I now know how to do better. So some things I did well at. I was authentic with my sisters. I opened up with them. I cried to them on the phone. They had never been in my situation before. My mom had seven kids and each of my sisters seemed to have the same fertile genes. I was authentic with them. I didn't hide what was going on. I let them sit in the pain with me, which made the pain more bearable. 
It didn't matter that they hadn't struggled with infertility. They loved me. They cared about me. So they would cry with me because I was crying. I remember one night when I was having an especially tough time just accepting that we weren't having babies and I didn't know if we ever would have children. I took a chance and I sent a long text to my sister, Amy, and I told her in the text, I just need someone out there to know right now that this is really hard and that I want a baby so bad. I want a baby and I try and have a good attitude about it most of the time. I try and be happy for other people, but tonight I just don't have it in me. Tonight I want a baby and it's not fair. There were times when I let myself cry and I'm so proud of that girl that I let cry. I would let Rob find me on the floor bawling. I'd let him peel me off the floor and hug me and just be fine with it. I wouldn't let myself feel weak in those moments. I wouldn't hide or suppress those negative feelings. I've learned that the more we process our negative feelings out loud, the more we can make room for the positive ones. Things that I did that I now know better and I wish I could have done a little differently, I racked myself with so much guilt for not wanting to go to baby showers, for not wanting to sit on conversations about everybody's different labor stories, which women love to talk about. I was so set on not being that stereotypical, bitter, infertile woman that I had in my head, that I felt the need to be everybody else's cheerleader and let them know that I was fine, it was okay, that I wasn't having babies. I wish I had been better at just letting myself be sad when I needed to be sad instead of beating myself up for being sad. I think I would have processed it easier, honestly. I felt like I was constantly at war inside with the Rosie the Riveter side of me that wanted to show everyone that I can do it. Watch me do this. Watch how graceful I'm going to handle this. Watch how graceful I'm going to be not having babies and wanting them. But then there were times when the pain was just too much. There was a time when a couple in our ward was having a 5K sponsored by Pound the Pavement for Parenthood. Shout out to my friend, Stephanie Purcell, who I think listens to this podcast. She and her husband were doing this 5K to run money to try an IVF cycle. And after the 5K had finished, her husband got up and was thanking people. And he just expressed how difficult their journey had been. And especially watching his wife have so many negative pregnancy tests. And that's all it took. I totally lost it. I started bawling and I was crying so much that I I had to get out of there. So I walked out of the crowd as, as fast as I could because I was full on just ugly crying. I went and Rob followed me and I went and sat by a creek and I just sobbed my face off. Rob stood nearby trying to reassure me, give me the words he tried to give me so many times to just help me feel okay about our situation and that our day would come eventually. A couple minutes later, I felt a hand on my shoulder and it wasn't Rob's. I turned around and there were two women from the group standing there. Each of these women I knew, and they had several kids of their own. I don't think they had a hard time getting pregnant. And they grabbed me and they hugged me. They must have seen me leave the crowd crying. They must have put some dots together of of what was going on in my life. They sat with me by the creek and they talked to me. They saw me. And I could have thought, they don't get it. I'm not going to share with them. But that's not how it felt. It felt authentic. It felt like they were giving me permission to be authentic. We were able to share together while neither of us knew each other's situations completely. But we both knew what it felt like to cry and to feel lonely and to want something so bad and not have it. Being authentic isn't understanding every situation. It's being willing to say, you know what? I don't know what you're going through exactly, but you're a human being 
And that means you are worthy of my time and you are worthy of even my uncomfortableness or whatever it is that I have to give to sit in this moment with you and bear your cross with you. That's being authentic and that's seeing someone. The very best Mother's Day of my life was a Mother's Day when I had been trying to have babies for a couple years and I hadn't had them, which may come as a shock to you. But let me tell you about what my family did for me that Mother's Day and the way they saw me. My sister, Christy, she organized my family and Rob's family to write notes to me of encouragement. I received a package a couple days before Mother's Day that said, do not open till Mother's Day. Inside, I found all these notes telling me what a good mom I would be someday and just reminding me of the gifts that I had and how much they loved that their kids had me as an aunt. My sister, she put a necklace in there and she had stamped on the necklace with a pearl the word eventually. Eventually, my turn would come. Nobody knew when, but eventually it would. After that, I used to refer the dream of getting pregnant as my eventually day. The dream of having my baby as our eventually day. And that day it gave me hope. I was just filled with the love of people around me. It didn't matter that I didn't have a baby. It didn't matter that they did have babies. We were connecting in the most incredible way because they were seeing me. They were seeing that Mother's Day was not an easy day for someone that wanted to be a mom and was doing everything she could financially, medically, spiritually to do that. And it still wasn't happening. We were told that we would never have biological children except through in vitro. We were told it was like a one in a million chance. When we were blessed to be able to be in a position that we could do in vitro, it was exciting, it was scary. IVF is challenging. We had a giant box delivered to our doorstep, thousands of dollars of medication in it, things that we had to shove inside me with needles. I remember the first time Rob trying to give me a shot. He kept almost doing it and then jumping up. I can't do it and trying to pump himself up. He was like in one of his high school basketball games again, (laughs) trying to get pumped up that he could do this. I remember just saying, I can't do it, you do it. And he was like, I don't know if I can do it, you do it. I cannot put this needle in you, you're my wife. There was one shot in particular the medicine was called Menapure, if I remember correctly. And we nicknamed it Menaburn because it burned so bad going in. Getting the poke in, the needle in was nothing. It was pushing that burning medicine in that killed. I hated Menaburn. I hated it so much. There were ultrasounds every other day at times. There were blood draws. The fertility clinic basically said, you need to be available to us at all times during this month or two. I remember after the retrieval of the eggs, I would have to crawl to the bathroom because I was in so much pain. And it was easy sometimes as I'm crawling to the bathroom to think, this is not fair. I was right, it wasn't fair and it's okay. But even the fertility center found ways to see me. I have never been to a friendlier doctor's office. And you wanna know why? Because they know you don't wanna be there. So they're gonna make it as pleasant as possible. And I think that's amazing. The receptionist was always so sweet when she greeted us. There was bowls of candy out in the bathroom. Oh my goodness, the bathroom was the best because I walked in and there was a sink and the sink had the outline and shape of a sperm. Is that not the coolest thing you've ever heard? Because guess what? We didn't want to be there, but if we had to be there, they were going to do stuff to make us laugh and to make us feel like we were part of a family. Even with all that kindness in the middle of this first round of in vitro, I remember crying and saying, if this doesn't work, I can't ever do this again. I've got one cycle in me and then I'm done. I can't do it again. During the cycle, I had sisters who saw me. 
I had a sister who refinished my dresser with me so that we could keep my mind off all the craziness I was doing every day. After they put the embryo inside me and we were waiting to see if a pregnancy would occur, I had to lay flat on my back for two days. The only thing I could do is get up and go to the bathroom. So I had a sister who came up who had four children of her own and sat and did a puzzle with me and taught and would not let me do anything. She sat with me and laughed with me while we let that embryo do its thing inside me. I want to tell you about my first eventually day because it was such a good day. We were actually at a family reunion in Idaho up in the mountains. We had already figured out with our doctor that that was the day that we could call her and she would know whether or not I was pregnant based on my most recent blood test. We tried to sneakily get on the four-wheeler and drive up the mountain to a place where we could get reception. Everybody tried to pretend like they didn't know what was going on, but because I had chosen to be authentic and to be open during the process of IVF, everybody knew what was going on. (laughs) We went up there and we called her and then we lost reception and it was so stressful, I was dying. We called her again and, and we finally got through to her. She told me that some sort of H levels were were good. And I was like, okay, but what does that mean? Am I pregnant? She said, you are pregnant. And I get teary even just saying that. Yes, I was pregnant. Finally, I was pregnant. And me and Rob cried and he kissed me. Like he's never kissed me before, I don't think. And the first thing he said to me is, you look so hot pregnant. <laughs> Five years after we got married, We got our Sam. We got him on the first IVF cycle. And you know what? The miracles didn't stop. Ten months later, we got a one in a million chance pregnancy. Fertility gave us a one in a million shot at ever getting pregnant on our own. And Christmas Eve of 2015, I took a dollar store pregnancy test in my bathroom. And I got a positive pregnancy test. And I bawled and I thanked God that I was able to get pregnant. And you better believe I ran in. And I woke up Rob and I made him look at me and I showed him that test. And we were giddy like school children. Now my story has such a good ending. I got a baby boy and a baby girl. I don't know if I'm gonna get any more. But the point of this story isn't that I got kids in the end. The point is that I was able to feel happiness and to feel community along the way. And I think a big reason for that is because I did my best to stay authentic in my circumstances. I wasn't always perfect at it. But the more authentic I was with people, the more relief I felt because I was allowing others into my life to bear my cross with me. It's easy to tell your story and be authentic about your story when you've already felt healing and when you've already gotten your happy ending, when you've gotten what you want. It's a lot harder and it takes a lot more bravery to be authentic in the middle of your story when nothing makes sense. When you're ugly crying on the bathroom floor, and your husband is trying to get you to stand. Having the guts to leave a baby shower when you just don't have it in you to be excited for the person that day. Maybe like me, when a friend makes a comment when you're holding their newborn baby and she laughs and says, well, you obviously haven't had a lot of experience holding a baby. That one hurt. That one felt like it was gonna break me. But in those moments, guess what? It's okay to let yourself feel anger and let yourself feel pain. It's actually super healthy. When I allowed myself to be authentic through my infertility journey, to feel it and to share it with people that I could trust, I really believe that's the only way I got through that experience in one piece. I know so many women who have not had their eventually day. And I don't know why. I don't know why I got mine and you don't have yours. It's not fair. 
I hope you know that I love you and I see you. And I have a seat ready here for you on my podcast because I know that you have things to teach me about living an authentic life in the midst of great heartache, in the midst of waiting for your eventually day, for your happily ever after. And I have one friend specifically in mind, and I hope you know who you are and that I love you and I see you as I record this episode. A little while back, I had a friend who made a joke about someone she knew who seemed to always have it all together. She had the perfect hair and the perfect makeup and the cutest clothes. And she said, that girl, she's the Pinterest version of myself. And that made me laugh. I loved it. I've been thinking about that comment. Let's say there's a Pinterest version of me. Well, when I think of that, the Pinterest version of me has super cute clothes all the time, super cute hair all the time. I just look awesome all the time. I have everything figured out and my kids are super well-behaved and me and my husband have a perfect marriage and we never need to go to marriage counseling and life's just the best because I have it figured out. There's only one problem with that Pinterest version of myself. I cannot relate to her. I would have nothing to talk about with her. I'd be bored to death. I don't even know how to talk to a person like that. And also, that Pinterest woman we all see, she doesn't have it all figured out, I promise. The best part about being authentic is you get to stop trying so dang hard. Because guess what? If I don't want to go to a party, I don't have to go. Which, let's be honest, is kind of hardly ever the case because I love me a good party. If I don't feel like I have it in me to babysit the neighbor's kids, I can say no. It's okay and it's actually incredibly freeing to be authentic and to be me and to do it with compassion for others and compassion for myself. And you know what I find? The more authentic I am, the more me that I am, the more I can actually focus on other people. An example of this is I told a friend recently, I've been feeling some insecurities because I feel like when I talk to people that I know love the podcast, I'm worried I won't meet their expectations. I'm worried that I have to be a certain person. And she looked at me and she was like, but why would you think that? Your podcast is all about being real, about sharing what's not perfect in our life, about not being cookie cutter and being cool with that. And all of a sudden it clicked. The only person I have to be is me. Because guess what? That's what people are hungry for. They're hungry to relate to people that remind them that they're okay and that they're normal. That friend is right. I don't have to be anybody but me. And it feels so good. It feels like such a relief. You are who you are for a reason. And go find out what that reason is. That's at least my master plan. I think you should make it yours too. Like I said in the beginning, we have two podcasts this week. And the girl that's coming on, I'd never met her before, but I had multiple people tell me that she needed to be on here. And the second I met her, I knew exactly why. My name is Julie, and I see you. Do you know a group of people that needs to hear the message that compassion and connection save lives, that it saved my life? If you do, will you please contact me at www.icupodcast.com. Seeing each other with compassion and connection not only saves lives, but it can completely transform a work environment, a school environment, and a religious environment. I am willing to talk to anybody that will listen, because I'm right about this.